day at the organ I was weary and ill at ease And my fingers wandered idly Over the noisy keys I know not what I was playing Hello, and welcome to the American Writers Podcast. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one small slice of American writing. I base my sources off the Library of America, um, and, you know, I work through different authors, you know, basically however it moves me, whatever my collection allows. Currently, I'm jumping into some new waters. I'm kind of haven't, you know, been that primarily interested in kind of more of this middle class fiction. I'm not that interested in in European writing. So I, I kind of stayed away from Henry James. I kind of kept him, you know, I socially distanced myself from Henry, Henry James for a long time. But I, when I, you know, a couple years ago, I actually went ahead and bought, you know, everything in the first 50 volumes of the Library of America. And I, I intended to keep doing that. And I ended up going to China and stopped doing it. But I did buy, made sure I had all the books from the first 50 and that included several volumes of Henry James, I think like five or six of the what ended up being 16 volumes. So I have them sitting on my bookshelf and I always sort of intended to to read them at some point, but I, I kept delaying. Same thing with Edith Wharton, it's kind of kind of felt the same way. They kind of, in my mind, seemed associated together. I even tried to throw Edith Wharton into the 20th Century Girls series I did a while ago, and I just gave up after reading um, uh, the, first, the first novel. <laughs> um, so... You know, I, I really did hesitate to look at Henry James, and and um, you know, right now I'm into reading Roderick Hudson, his second novel, and, and enjoying quite a lot of it. It's still not really my cup of tea, I guess, but I think there's a lot of interesting things going on in these novels. And to the best of my ability, I want to introduce that to you um, if you're listening. Now we're starting here with Watch and Ward. Right, now, my last episode, I talked a little bit of my overall feelings about Watch and Ward. My my mostly mostly my kind of feeling of discussed it's it's i'm pretty i'm usually a pretty generous reviewer here i usually recommend the stuff i read because it's all great stuff or, or at the very least it's it's significant historically and in terms of literary history um so i rarely say you shouldn't read this book or it's, it's no good or you know I, I tend to be kind of systematic too and and not skip things and i, I was almost tempted to give up on the second half of of watch and award but i kind of persisted through as best i could and and I'll say a little bit about it. I'm not gonna. This isn't gonna be an extremely long episode um, because I think there's not that much more to say. Um, it is what it began as, which is kind of a a relatively. It's a book about a a pathetic kind of guy who gets friend zoned by a woman he's been courting, and soon after that he adopts an orphan girl after her father dies. He or he adopts her without telling anyone else in her family or extended family he just kind of adopts her cares for education but immediately begins planning to make her his bride at some point in the future uh you know she's when he adopts her she's 14 and she's kind of an ugly duckling he but he kind of saw that she'd grow up to be beautiful and and therefore from very early on in their relationship decided he's going to try to marry her someday he even says as much in a letter to his former if the the woman he was trying to marry before, who becomes Mrs. Keith after she marries someone else, 
he tells her in a letter like you know i'm gonna make her my wife someday and and she actually was so she actually saw this as a weird letter and she kept it um so it's it's even the context of other characters kind of think his behavior is weird like you know other people move in and try to court this woman as she's growing up right as she reaches adulthood and they even you know seem a bit taken aback at kind of rod the main character roger lawrence uh, roger's like affection and and is creepy on her and the only person who doesn't seem to notice anything about this is nora nora is oblivious she's kind of a dull character she's being educated but she doesn't really have much of an educational background so she's kind of stumbling around later in her life trying to catch up to an education she's basically getting a a, a domestic education more than anything else um so there are some interesting gender stuff in this novel about the role of women and that's that's kind of what i want to focus on uh, in this look at the second half of watch and ward now where we sort of picked up last time um well, he, he begins to raise her, and two new suitors basically approach her. One is uh, George Fenton, who's actually Nora's cousin, who comes basically showing up. And I think rightfully says, like, how did you adopt this girl without doing your due diligence and finding out if she had any extended family at all? You just sort of picked her up off the street and started caring for her. Um, and... You know, he's a poor man, and he expresses interest in her, and she doesn't really know what to do with about it. Um, but, you know, the fact that he doesn't have money makes him not the best candidate for her. Um, then we get uh, this other guy, Hubert, who's uh, actually Roger's cousin. And he's a, he's a minister, and he's available and single. And he shows some interest in her, right? And then Roger immediately kind of cock blocks both of them as, as best he can, you know, going so far as to like really call George Fenton like a horrible, vicious person, um, kind of oblivious to how kind of horrible he's acting. Um, but I do think there's some kind of awareness of just how odd Roger's behavior towards her is, especially for Mrs. Keith. I think Mrs. Keith is a little bit more in tune to Roger's weirdness, maybe because he she was she was the target of his ambitions earlier. Um, so um, now at some point, about midway in the novel, um, after these two suitors are introduced, these two other suitors, he goes ahead and proposes to Nora, and she is kind of freaked out by that. In fact, she doesn't seem to really know what's going on about this. She was never really aware of this interest he had in her. She, and again, she's kind of a dull character. She doesn't really grok things very clearly um, or very quickly. Uh, she has to sort of be told things by Mrs. Keith and others. And finally, it's revealed that Roger wants to marry her and she is panicked by it. So it's basically like your stepdad asking to marry you, right? Um, wow. Um, I don't know if this happened in real life. I mean, it must be, there must be real examples of this in, in history. Maybe... Uh, Henry um, um, Henry James was basing this off of real life events in the news or whatever, but he seems not like critical of it. It's like that's the weirdest thing about this. He's if he was trying to criticize this behavior systematically, he he doesn't do it. He's basically he, in the end they end up do marrying Roger and Nora, this girl. They end up do getting married despite kind of all the creep about it, and the, so I think. He, he doesn't quite know what he's doing with this story. Is he trying to be critical of it? He's trying to expose something about middle-class life. I don't quite know what he's trying to do, but, you know, it's... I mean, from a modern perspective, this really seems to be a, 
a simp who gets uh, friend zoned and then starts, you know, macking on his like like stepsister or something. It's it's kind of that level of creep going on here. It's, it's I mean that's actually his stepdaughter essentially or adopted do- adopted daughter that he starts creeping on. Um, but again, this must have happened in history. I mean with you know the way marriages were always arranged and planned and 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 the thing i'm going to get to later the limited choices for women even in late 19th century america so after this proposal comes down she basically flees and who does she run to but um she runs to mrs keith who's sort of kind of helping take care of her helping raise her and she actually shows her roger's letter to her which says like how young like how many years ago, like back when she was 14, how he was already having designs on on marrying her in the future. It seems that's like Roger's one skill is to to, to identify the ugly duckling. Um, and this even freaks her out a little bit more. Um, and so she goes off to George Fenton. And George Fenton, there's a whole kind of subplot here where George Fenton, who's bankrupted and broke and in need of money and desperate for that and and so there is some kind of interesting class issues here obviously Nora's from a working class uh, background and her father kills himself because he was desperate for money to raise his family um and george fenton not much better off not not a much better standing than his brother he essentially kidnaps nora and and knowing he's not going to not be able to marry nora he kidnaps her holds her somewhat captive and says, you know, I will, and writes to Roger saying, like, I'll give you her back for money. Um, now, before this can really be resolved, she gets escaped. She gets away from the situation, and she runs to the other possible suitor she had met before, this Hubert, who is Roger's cousin. And it turns out he's already engaged. So those two uh, romances are dead ends. And then this is what gets us to, I think, what's really kind of chilling about the novel beyond the creep of Roger Lawrence. And that is that Roger's now her best chance. Like she's not from a good background. She's doesn't have money. There's, she's somewhat pretty. I mean, she's not like, we don't get the sense. She's like incredibly gorgeous or something like the kind that can marry outside of her class. Um, She only really, I mean, Roger Lawrence probably could get a, someone of his class if he tried a little bit harder, but he's a, he's a bit of a simp. So he's, you know, he's gro- creeping on this, this girl, but she doesn't have the options, right? She, if she did before, they weren't that great options either, but um, Hubert's a bit suspicious. George Fenton's poor. Um, you know, Roger has money. That's his one thing he has. So, She's his best chance. So they end up getting together and getting married. And and that's really all there is to the plot of of the novel. The rest is it's pretty boring, actually, as, as a story overall. But I do think there's an important message here. And that is just a reminder of, of how limited options were for, for women, both of the working class and, and maybe even more so for the middle class. Because I see this coming up in, in Roderick Hudson, too, about like, like this expectation to marry. Right. You didn't really have a higher education open to you. And even if Nora had wanted to, she wasn't like she's not presented as clever enough or engaged enough or or having enough background or or resources to really pursue an education on her own. But that's not really an option for many women anyways. 
beyond a certain level. And what does that leave you? You can become like a school teacher somewhere, right? You know, go, go south and, and become a school teacher somewhere, you know, somewhere down there. There's really not options for someone like Nora, except through marriage. And it's, uh, it's kind of tragic that way. So she ends up, has to end up with this creep, um, despite his, you know, despite our maybe hopes for a little bit better future for her. Unfortunately, we don't really like her that much either because we don't get to know her that well. She's she's kind of a background character. She's not really drawn from life. I mean, if you read this, if, if some people tell you your whole life that like Henry James is the greatest American writer or something, and then you want to listen to it systematically and you pick this up, and it's not like a juvenile work either. I mean, it's not like it's something he wrote in you know, in grade school or junior high or something. This was something he wrote when he was like 28, 27, 28, after having only written written stories for a while. And then he writes Roderick Hudson, which is so much better. I mean, it's light years better and more complex and and uh, and believable and rich. Uh, maybe this story is actually uh, is believable in, in a sense. I, I do think people like this probably did exist, but... It's just so much a better story, and it's written just a couple years after this one. So I don't know if that's development in, in James's part, or if James just made a mistake in this novel, or he was trying to do something and failed at it. And, you know, anyways, whatever it is, it's not a very good novel. But, yeah, I think um, the the narrative here of, of the story of just a woman with few options from a working-class background who has to kind of play this game with this guy and end up marrying him because that's the only way she can kind of escape a life essentially of poverty or drudgery all right so you can't it's hard to blame her the problem is the book just it's it's a bit gross in its overall plot it's a bit boring um which i don't feel at all about roger hudson and you know I'm, I'm kind of halfway through it now i don't feel that novel's boring at all i think i'll have a lot more to say about it um, in fact, there might be too much to say about Roger Cuts, and it's kind of um, rich. I might have to kind of limit, discipline myself to only say a little bit about it. Um, so, yeah, huge gap between the, these two novels, to be sure. And you kind of understand after reading it. When I first heard, like, James disregarded and, and wanted to discard this novel and didn't want anyone to read it, I'm like, he's just being hard on himself, right? It's, it's he, It still has to be good. But, you know, I was shocked at kind of how unfortunate the novel novel really is. So anyways, that's all I really want to say about uh, the second half of Watch and Ward. I promise to have more to say about Roderick Hudson, at least the first third of it. I'll be doing three episodes on Roderick Hudson. That is a novel about a sculptor from New York who, uh, from relatively modest backgrounds, who gets recruited to go with a, with a rich man uh, to, to Rome to cultivate his craft. And it's, it's about a, a rich young man trying to find meaning in life beyond just his money and it's about an artist trying to find his artistic voice in in, in the old world an, an american going to the old world so this is very much a jamesian theme uh you have a bit of that in watching word of like the transatlantic stuff but that's a it's much more of a uh, you know a, a henry james novel about americans going to to europe and, and really the contrast between the two in this case in this novel roderick hudson is told from the perspective of a little bit of class um, a little bit of culture stuff, but also primarily through artistic inspiration, if you will. So, and, and kind of the cultural heritage of Europe on America. So I'm looking forward to jumping into that. I'm teaching art history now. So maybe some of the 
that will filter into giving me a slightly greater understanding of 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 this novel. So goodbye to Watch and Word. Hopefully, we don't have to think too much more about it. Um, and uh, but if you read it and found something more in it, uh, you know, let me know what it is. Send me an email at hundredpagescast at gmail.com. I will see you next time with part one of my thoughts on Roderick Hudson by Henry James. Like love overcoming strife, it seemed the harmonious echo from our discordant life. It linked all the